I'm glad to be here. And as I always say, when you get my age, you're glad to be anywhere. <laughs> Young man went to his pastor one Sunday morning, and I'm going to move this because I will have it knocked off probably. Young man went to his pastor one Sunday morning, and he said, Pastor, he said, I sure hope you preach a good message today. And the pastor said, what do you call a good message? He said, well, a good beginning and a good ending and the beginning and the ending pretty close together. <laughs> well, that's not me. <laughs> I don't know when I've had so much time, man. I'll tell you, they give me time tonight. We'll get out of here about 11 o'clock. Amen. Well, it's good to be here and thank the Lord for his blessings. He's been so good to us and blessed us more than we deserve. And uh, I hope the preacher is having a great time out in sunny California. And I understand that we're having a heat wave all across the country. And uh, many years ago, I, I spent some time in California uh, at Camp Pendleton and uh, uh, came uh, well left from Camp Pendleton and went to uh, Hawaii and then when I came back from Vietnam I came back through Camp Pendleton and I've always said I didn't leave anything behind when I left her that I needed to go back after and if I did I don't think I'd go back after it I'd just leave it there <laughs> haven't seen a thing out there that make me want to move out there but now you know if God said go then I would have to pack my bag and go because I believe in doing what the Lord says or trying to do what the Lord says. Turn in the Word of God tonight in the book of Revelation, chapter number 1, and look at verse number 8, and then when you find that, go to Revelation chapter 22, and look at verse number 13. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and I'm using a brand new Bible here, so it's kind of difficult turning the pages, but we'll get there. All right, Revelation chapter, I'm going to let you keep your seat tonight. I'm only going to read two verses of Scripture, and I'm going to preach on the subject tonight, what's in a name? I, I preached on this one time, well, a short version of it at the nursing home. And I started and preached on several names that were given to the Lord Jesus Christ and never got through all of them because I had about 50 sermons on about 50 different names. And I'm going to cover one tonight that I did a short version in the nursing home not too long ago. The Lord laid this on my heart and after the song that was just sung, I know now why God did and that was a great song, and I appreciate these young folks doing the work of the Lord. Notice what the Word of God says in verse number 8 of chapter 1. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now look at verse number 13 of Revelation chapter number 22. I am Alpha and Omega, 
the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And as Brother S.M. Lockridge says, that means there was none before him and there'll be none after him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and I'm going to get into our message this evening and I hope that we can learn something from the Word of God about this Alpha and Omega. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, even for the humid, hot weather. It's sometimes God is uncomfortable. But sometimes, God, we need to lose our comfort to know how others in this world are feeling. And I pray now, Father, and thank you for giving us this day and for this time together. And now, Father, I pray that you'd bless the message this evening, bless the reading of thy word, and everything that we do, I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would get the praise and the honor from it. Lead us now, Father, and guide us and help us as we try to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake, amen and amen. Questions often ask, what is in a name? Well, there can be a lot in it, good or bad. I don't know about you, but some sometime when I was going to school, I was called some names that I didn't like. I was called Skinny, and a lot of names that I couldn't actually mention from the pulpit. But there's a lot in names. And I want to talk to you for just a little while this evening on this subject of the Alpha and the Omega. Now, uh, anybody here that has studied uh, the Greek language or the Hebrew language, of course, this is Greek, but it you knows that in the Greek language, the Alpha and the Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And when I see this in Scripture, I see this pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I'm the first and I'm the last, I'm the beginning and I'm the ending, but I'm everything in between. I mean, I hold it all together. The book of Colossians says that by him, all things were created and by him, all things consist. And that word consist carries with it the idea of to be held together. Now, whether you realize it this evening or not, this earth that you and I are living on is held together and kept in place and kept in orbit and kept the way its direction is going around the sun and turning around 24 hours a day. It's kept in place by the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he not have his hand upon it? We'd be swinging off out into space at trillions of miles an hour, brother, into oblivion. But thank God, as brother S.M. Lockridge said, he hung it out on nothing, told it to stay there, and it did. So thank God for that. What's in a name? Names are important. They label us. They identify our character. They sometimes identify our condition or some events that may have took place in our parents' life or uh, something else that uh, caused us to have the name that we have. I'm sure that 
my name, I know my middle name, Edward, is after my grandfather on my mother's side of the family because his name was Herman Edward Maxwell. And so my mother gave me the middle name of my grandfather on, uh, uh, on her side. Well, I don't know what that means other than I, I vaguely remember my grandfather uh, when I was about six or seven years old. Uh, he died with cancer, and I can remember the day that the hearse came and picked his body up and how I wept. And outside of that, I know very little about my grandfather. I do know this, that he was never one to go to church. And of course, at my age, I wasn't old enough to know anything about the Lord Jesus or to be able to talk to him about Jesus. And I think about that day, Lord, I wish I'd have been old enough that I could have talked to my grandfather and, and knew the Lord and had been able to lead him to Christ. So I, I don't, uh, I've never heard anything bad as far as him being a criminal and all of that, you know, and I wouldn't want to bear the name of a criminal. But uh, he's gone, and I bear his middle name. Now, I don't know whether that's good or bad. But I'm saying that our character oftentimes in our life uh, is uh, around what we are named and what we're called. You often wonder sometimes when uh, going to school, somebody calls someone fat so, and you look at him, and you wonder why they called him that, and he's this big <laughs> but that hurts sometimes names oftentimes can hurt and they can bring a reproach upon a person now God forbid that I say anything that's going to hurt anybody by calling somebody names uh, brother if I, could, if I could do anything I remember what my wife's mother used to say she said if you can't say Anything good about people, don't say anything. That's what she, that was her motto. And I want to, if I do anything, I want to help somebody. I don't want to run you down. I know some of us are kind of on the plump side, you know. I don't mind telling you I love to eat. And somebody told me, I, well, my doctor told me, he said, you need to lose some weight and you need to go on a diet. I said, Doc, do you know how old I am? Well, he said, according to this, you're 80 years old. I said, well, does that tell you anything? I'm not going on no diet, and I'm not cutting down on meat. I'm too close to heaven now to worry about it. Amen. Yes, amen. So names mean something. And I think about this when I, I looked at this name, Alpha and Omega. I, I want to bring out a few things concerning this name tonight. The name of Jesus Christ is special for several reasons. Number one, I like it because it's a saving name. You ever thought about uh, what Jesus means? It's actually uh, uh, from the Old Testament Hebrew language, Jehovah. Jehovah simply means Jehovah, Savior, Lord. If you look in the Old Testament and you see the word Lord in all capital letters, it means Jehovah. It's often called by the Hebrews and the Jews Yahweh. 
And uh, in the Hebrew language, they, when they write or wrote the name Jehovah, they left out the vowels. But then we came along with the English Bible, and when we put that word in the English Bible, we call it Jehovah. And it simply means Savior. And incidentally, for all of those who say that Jesus Christ is not God, when they named Jesus, when the angel came and told Mary Joseph to call his name Jesus, it's the same idea as what the Old Testament Jehovah is, Jehovah Savior. Messiah. Think about the word Messiah, the brother... Uh, I'm trying to think of names and I can't even think. Uh, I did that to Brother Clark one time. I said, that other guy. So I say that other guy. <laughs> he studied Hebrew. And he can tell you the name Meshach. Uh, is that how you pronounce the brother? Say it. Meshach. Meshach. Messiah. The Meshach is the Hebrew word and Messiah is the Greek word for the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. It means anointed. So when you say Jesus, you say Jehovah the Savior, and then when you come to Christ, you're saying Meshach, or the anointed one, Christos in the Greek language, the Christ. And so names mean something. And so in the name of Jesus, it's a saving name. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. It's a must. If you plan to get to heaven, you've got to come through Jesus Christ. I don't care what Oprah, uh, Oprah Winfrey says about uh, there are many ways to heaven. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. And if you get there, you're going to have to bow down at him, his feet. Now, somebody said, I'll never bow to him. You will either bow here or you'll bow there. Madeline Mary O'Hara said one time, she said, there's no man that has to bow down to any God. I beg your pardon, I bet you she's bowed somewhere along the line after she died. If she don't, she will at the great white throne judgment. So that's the only name. Not only is uh, his name a saving name, but his name is a precious name. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 7 says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. The Bible says here his name to you that believe is a precious name. I can't tell you how precious his name is. All the years that I've been saved and, and the times when I've been in trouble and I can come to him and brother, he'd lift me up and get me out of my problems and my troubles. It's a precious name, thank God. And it's a precious name because that's the name one day's gonna take me to heaven, hallelujah. 
I'm headed, I'm, as Brother Mace Jackson said, I'm heaven bound with the hammer down. I'm trusting him day by day, brother. There's no turning back. I like that old song, no turning back. Brother, I'm headed down the road and there's no place to turn around and look back or go back the other direction. He's been so good to me. His name is so precious. Sometimes at night when I'm laying and I can't sleep, I can just call on that precious name. And praise God, there's a, a relief that comes over me in the midst of the midnight hour like I can't get from this world and anybody else. That name is a precious name. Not only that, it's a powerful name. In John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. And Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 says, And whatsoever ye do in, the, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. If you want to know who you pray to, you pray to the Father by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to get in touch with the throne of God, you've got to come through the only name that can get you there, and that's the name of Jesus. Oh, praise God. Aren't you glad for that name? And then not only is it a powerful name, but it is a comforting name. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. No other name gets that kind of result. As the Lord Jesus healed that man, told him to pick up his bed and walk, and then the crowd asked him, well, he first told him, said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they looked at him and they said, well, who are you that you can forgive sins? And uh, just in case they couldn't figure it out, he said, which would be easier for me to say your sins be forgiven or to say take up your bed and walk? And he said, just so you'll know that the Son of God has power to forgive sins he told the man said take up your bed and walk I'm telling you he not only can forgive sins he can heal now he's not in the healing crowds today I'm going to tell you that he's not on TV with this crowd that's slaying people in the spirit and all a bunch of garbage you say preacher you're awful brave yeah you better believe the word of God says that we're to name false prophets we're to point them out. And I want to say to you this evening that I believe that there's not a pull, enough of pulpits in America who have got enough of preachers that have enough of guts that Southern for no innards. <laughs> they have enough of guts to stand up and tell people to not watch this crowd or to get away from that crowd because they're going to send you to hell if you follow them. And the world is full of those. If you read in the last days, the Word of God said one of the greater signs of the last days would be many false teachers 
and false prophets. And they're everywhere. And they're in it for one thing. They want you to empty your billfold. That's what they're after. Money. Making money. Not only is it a comforting name and a powerful name, a precious name, a saving name, but it is an exalted name. Hallelujah. Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Christ every knee should bow and every tongue should confess of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth and every creature should exalt him and bow to his name. Now I want to say today that in our age in which we're living now, that Jesus Christ is not being exalted very much. The world is cursing him. Everything from the government on down to the schools and the homes and everything else in America is saying, we don't need that name. And they're doing everything that they possibly can to take the name of Jesus Christ out of our vocabulary. Now, they don't care if you serve God. Now, they've got their own idea about who God is and what God is. It's a God. But he, uh, as far as they're concerned, he's not divine. And uh, as far as they're concerned, we don't need you, God, in our life. Just go on and leave us alone. We'll make it without you. We're getting along pretty good until the fire falls. And so they want to take Jesus Christ out of everything and they say, you can serve God without Christ. Well, I'll read that in the Bible. You can't serve God without the Lord Jesus Christ. Just doesn't work. Christ said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, which was one of our text verses, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So he's Almighty God. He's the one that is and was and is to come. Before this world was ever created, he was there. And brother, when it goes off into oblivion, he'll still be there. And when the new one comes into existence, according to the word of God, there's going to be a new heaven, new earth. He will be the one that brings it into existence. Because he's the word. And the world was brought into existence by the word. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The Bible tells us that by him all things were created by the word. In John chapter 1 verse number 14, he said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's the word. All right, let's look at this. Word, Alpha and Omega, for a few moments, and I'm not going to hold you too long. I'll let you out here sometime between now and midnight. Well, if you take notes, I want you to look at a few things. And I, I may mention the fact that 
The alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and of course, omega is the last letter. And this word alphabet comes from the first two letters of the Greek alphabet, which is alpha beta. Therefore, we have what we call an alphabet in English, and it derives from these two Greek words, alpha beta, which is alphabet in English. And Christ is saying, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the ending. And it is interesting that this title is put at the very beginning and end of Revelation. You ever thought about that? Christ said, I'm the beginning and the end. And in chapter number one, he says, I'm the beginning and the end. And in chapter number 22, he says, I'm the beginning and the ending. So twice at the beginning and the end of the last book in the word of God. And incidentally, if you want to know what's going to happen, get in the book of Revelation and it'll tell you. Well, preacher, I can't understand Revelation. Well, I couldn't either before I got to studying and got into the Word of God and God began to show me a few things and I don't know it all. But I'll tell you one thing, I know enough to know that I don't want to be here when Revelation chapter 5 starts. I want to leave out of here at the end of chapter, or beginning of chapter number 4 when John said, I, uh, I saw a door open in heaven and I heard a voice saying, come up hither. And he said, immediately I was in the spirit and I was caught up in the spirit. And brother, he went up into, I don't know what kind of body he had. The word of God says flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what happened. There had to be some kind of change for him to go up there, but he was up there. And so this title, is at the beginning of the last book of the Bible and at the end. So that tells me that when everything in Revelation transpires, Christ will be the beginning of it, the ending of it, and uh, he'll be there when it's all over. And thank God we'll be with him. So number one, if you're taking notes, this Alpha and Omega gives us, first of all, the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. Creation had a beginning. Civilization had a beginning. Time had a beginning. But Jesus Christ had no beginning. You say, preacher, what about when he was born there in Bethlehem and laid in a manger? He just became the Son of God in flesh. But before that, he was the Son of God with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in the Godhead. And then he became the Son of God in human flesh. Now that's pretty well self-explanatory. But it still doesn't help when, it start, when you start trying to figure out the Godhead. And I'm not going to be one to try to explain it. <laughs> because I don't think it's, it can be explained in human language. Who would want to serve a God that could be explained anyway? I don't think I'd want to serve a God that I could explain. That means if I can explain him, then uh, there would be uh, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, maybe you could figure out a way that you could get rid of him. 
You're not going to get rid of God. So I don't want to try to explain. So it, it tells us that he was preexistent. Jesus said unto them in John chapter 8, verse 58, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Colossians 1, 17 says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He was, what was he doing? Before he became a babe and was born over there in Bethlehem and uh, before uh, God, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, caused Mary to conceive him in her womb. What was he doing in the past? Well, number one, he was fellowshipping with the Father. John ch chapter 17, verse 5 says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Not only that, he was choosing the elect. The elect. Now, don't let that word scare you. I'm going to tell you something. I studied this, and I'm going to tell you whether you believe in election or not, you cannot come to Christ without God elects you to come to him. Now, you say, preacher, you're, you're going overboard now. I'm not going to get into all this stuff of the free will of man and God's will and all of this, but I'm going to say to you, Christ said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he said, I will in no wise cast any out that come to me. Now you explain that. God has to call. And I'm a firm believer that it's our duty as men of God to preach this book and let the Holy Spirit do the calling and leave the saving unto God. Now, I'm not going to argue this subject of election, but I agree with the Bible. Somebody said that if you try to explain the doctrine of election in the Scriptures, you'll lose your mind. But if you try explaining it away, you could lose your soul. I don't know how true that is, but that was something I read. So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now what I see here is that God chooses us in Christ. But it's still God and the Holy Spirit that have to bring you to Jesus Christ. We could debate all night on the subject, but uh, there is an election. Somebody said that there is such thing as vocational election where the Lord called the tribe of Levi as priest. And then there is uh, God's theocratic election of the nation of Israel where God chose the nation of Israel when he chose Abraham and, and uh, went through Abraham and then the tribes on up through uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and the 12 tribes. And then there is a, an election when it comes to salvation. 
Now, like I said, if you're here and you're lost tonight and the Holy Spirit of God is speaking unto you, you know you need to be saved. And I want to say that I believe as long as this book is being preached that the Holy Spirit will do the convicting and it's not up to me to say who God elects and who he don't. All right. In John chapter 6, verse number 44, the Bible said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. No person receives Christ as their Savior who has not been chosen by God to do so. Now, that's a, a subject that is way over my head and, and beyond. And I'm not preaching something that's false. You study the Word of God and you'll find that God has to do the choosing along the line somewhere because he is God. And then John chapter 15, verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whosoever ye shall ask of my Father, or whatsoever ye shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it you. The lost sinner left to his own devices will die and go to hell. Brother Brandon, you know, and I know when I was saved, I was not looking for Jesus. The night I was saved, I was lost as Hogan's goat, as they say. And the night that I got saved, I had no intention of getting saved. I went to church for one purpose, and I, I may mention this, and Brother Gary Edwards is here. His uncle was the man that uh, aggravated me to the point to get me to church the night I got saved. Had no intention of getting saved. I had plans to go out with a friend and, and party. This was on a Saturday night. And I went to satisfy him, but the Holy Spirit had other thoughts that night. And that night, the Holy Spirit came to me sitting about seven rows back in Oswald Baptist Church. Brother, when he began to grip my heart and soul and began to convict me and showing me that if I didn't get saved, I was going to hell. Brother, I'll tell you, it didn't take much for me to hit that altar that night and say, God, I'm the worst sinner in the world. If you can save me, I'll trust you right now as my Savior. That's been over 55 years ago. And I wasn't seeking him. And, and you gave your testimony, brother, how many times it took to get you to the church and uh, before finally, and even came a few times before the Holy Spirit of God convicted you. You wasn't seeking it. You had no thoughts of getting saved. When uh, whoever gave that track to Sister Mandy, uh, she had no thoughts whatsoever of y'all getting saved. But God did. He's the one that did the, you know, uh, told whoever went out and handed those tracks out, he gave them the courage to hand them out, and then he just done the rest. <laughs> Amen. I'm glad he is in charge. Hey, let me tell you, whenever he does the choosing, hallelujah, I know I'm not going to lose it. Praise God. So he said, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one there. Listen to this. 
This comes from the book of Isaiah. There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Now you argue with that and say, well, I don't believe in what you're saying. But uh, the Bible says there's none that seeks after God. So how are you going to get to him if he don't seek you? That's my question. The scriptures are clear that man has a responsibility to exercise his own will when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with him. But I'm going to tell you, it's God who does the convicting. John chapter 6, verse number 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The Father gives and man comes. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. There it is. That's the whole key. Sanctification means cleansing. It means to set apart or to put one uh, aside for service. And he said, by sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So the Holy Spirit does the cleansing. He's the one that sanctifies. And it's the Word of God that brings you to salvation. Now, is that not Scripture? Amen. All right. What else was he doing? He was planning for a church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So there's a mystery. So what is the mystery? Well, the mystery is the church. Now, the church is nowhere mentioned in the Old Testament other than typology and and. Uh, uh, you, you see it in men and you can see the Lord Jesus Christ and the church and different characters in the Old Testament, but the church nowhere is just out and out mentioned. When was the church first mentioned? In Matthew. And it was based upon Peter's profession when Christ said, Whom say ye that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're uh, one of the prophets and, and so forth. But Christ said, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter, and we always accuse him of being big mouth, but he had it that day. He said, thou art the son of God, thou art the Christ, the son of God. And, and Christ told him, he said, blessed art thou. Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father uh, which is in heaven. And he went on, and the first mention of the church was right after that. And it was based upon the fact of Peter's profession of faith and not upon Peter. Christ said, I will build 
my church, and that's the first mention of the church in the New Testament. And until the apostle Paul came on the scene and started preaching and taking the gospel to the Gentiles, it was a mystery that the Jews and the Gentiles alike by trusting in Jesus and accepting him as their Lord and Savior would be placed into the body which is called the New Testament church. And I'm not talking about this building. This is a meeting place. This building is not the church. The church is sitting right here in these chairs. And so the New Testament church is not a building. It's made up of believers from all over the world, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, and it's based upon their accepting Christ as their Savior. Upon the blood. And it was a mystery. And Paul said here that God had given him this mystery. And one other mystery you find that Paul mentioned was the rapture. Which they say today, and many say today, well, the rapture of the church was started by, uh, I think he's J.N. Darby, J.B. Darby, I can't remember exactly what his niche was, but Darby, they said he was the first one that mentioned the rapture church. I beg to differ. Paul mentioned it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. John mentioned it way back over in John chapter 14. And so Paul was the one that God actually told him and gave him the real mystery of the body of Christ and the rapture and, and so forth. And God was planning a church. Then not only that, he was preparing a kingdom. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Boy, aren't you glad you're serving a God that's not lost on what he's trying to do? I mean, he had everything in mind before there ever was an earth or a world, before anything ever came to ex into existence. He's not in the dark about what he's doing. And I want to answer a question tonight that many sometimes have about why does God allow this or why does God allow that? Why does so much evil if God loves and all of this? I'll take you over to the book of Romans, and I think it was Paul said in the book of Romans, he said, who art thou, old man, that you can question God about what he does? Somebody asked me that just a couple weeks ago, and I gave them that ver verse of Scripture. It was like a, maybe a light came on. They said, hey, I see now. Well, you better because God's in charge and he hasn't, uh, he hadn't been in the dark about anything. We better worry about standing before him and giving account of ourselves to him other than trying to question him about what he's doing. When he causes things to come into my life and I've had some things to hurt me over my life, I think one of the worst things ever hurt me was when my brother got killed in Vietnam in 1970. 
that I was at Piedmont Bible College when they came and gave me the news that my brother had been killed. That hurt worse than anything I've ever had to hurt in my life. But you know what? I never one time pointed my finger at God and said, God, why would you do this? I knew God has a right to do whatever he wants to do and allow whatever he wants to allow, and it's none of my business. I don't know why God saved me, but I'm glad he did. An old stump jumper like me, a swamp jumper from up in the mountains of Virginia, very little education. Why God had used me in these days, and I believe he's used me now more than ever, and I know I can't preach. I don't claim to be much of a preacher. But I'll tell you one thing. I believe what this book says, and I do my best to tell what it says. And it's up to people to do whatever they want to with it. I don't know why God saved me. And I, I, I know this. I know he wants me to serve him. And that's what he saved me for. The word of God said he created us, that we glorify him and magnify him. That's why he created us. I'm not hurry. I'm not going to even get on. Not only was he planning a kingdom, but he was planning a savior. Before this world ever was created, the Godhead got together and discussed Christ's coming into this world to shed his blood on the cross. You say, preacher, I don't believe that, brother. I'm going to tell you according to the word of God. Listen to what, what the Bible says. Here, let me read this verse of scripture. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, through verse 20, he says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Brother, before the world ever came into existence, before there was ever a foundation, it was planned that Jesus would come and shed his blood. And you think God's in the dark about your sin and my sin and about the things that are going on in this world? And then the second thing I want you to notice that this name shows us the preeminence of Christ. Christ was the Alpha, the Omega, the A to Z. Christ is all. He's everything. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, for by him were all things created. And I've read this several times. He said that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus is all you and I need. Brother, when I have a need, all I have to do is go to him. A man or a woman who truly begins to live 
only when Christ comes into their life. The Lord is to be number one in our life. He is to be our Alpha, and He's to be our Omega. What does a child need to know in order to read? The answer is ABCs. <laughs> Wasn't that the first thing you learned when you went to school? They started teaching you how to draw and write your ABCs. We began, I think, if I remember, I don't know what I can remember that far back. <laughs> but I remember it seemed like they started us out with making the little A. And we went through that, and you, they'd give you a sheet of paper with all them lines, and you'd start and make them little A's, make a whole sheet or a whole row, and then they'd bring you back to the B, and then later on they'd go back to the capitals, and it took a while. One fellow said, I was in the ninth grade before I got mine down. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I was that far gone, but I was hard-headed when I went to school, and it was hard for them to teach me much. <laughs> but a child needs to know that. And Jesus is the word that builds our life. He's the ABCs of the word of God that builds our Christian life after we're saved. Let me go to my last point. I haven't even made an hour yet. Number three, in this name, we see the perpetualness of Christ. The word perpetual means eternal. And we see him as the eternal one without any beginning or an ending. Isaiah chapter 41 verse Number four said, who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ is the beginning and the ending. He's the final goal or destination in which all life is moving, either to be saved by him or judged by him or ruled by him. Now, you'll either be saved by him, ruled by him one of these days right here on this earth because he's coming to reign on this earth on the throne of David for a thousand years. And the whole world is going to be ruled by him. And I don't care what these smart politicians say that uh, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. When they're all gone and burning in hell, he'll be sitting on the throne. And then not only that, they're going to either be uh, saved by him, ruled by him, or judged by him at the great white throne judgment. There's no way out of it except coming to him and accepting him as Savior. He's the beginning and the ending. Now, we do not know that what the Lord has begun, 
He will finish, but I want to tell you what Philippians says. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I've told young Christians this many times. If you're truly born again, if you've been saved by the grace of God, He's going to bring you through to the end, brother, if he has to beat the devil out of you all of the way. What do you mean, preacher? I mean if he has to chastise you and bring you in without arms, legs, eyes, or whatever he has to do, he's going to complete the task that he begun in you when you got saved. I am convinced today that there are a lot of Christians who are on a bed of disability today because they failed to serve God and they belong to Him and He's chastising them, brother, but He's going to bring them through. I, I am kind of eerie about going into a hospital and see somebody that's on the bed of affliction, I say, have you been saved? Do you know the Lord? Yes, preacher. And I'm kind of eerie about just praying for those people, for God to heal them because I don't know why they're there. And sometimes God has to bring us to a bed of affliction to get our attention. And then even to a cemetery if we don't obey. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians if you want to read 1 Corinthians there at Corinth. He said, many of you partook of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And he said, uh, some of you are sick because you've done it. In other words, they under the chastening hand of God. And he said, some of you have even, they are asleep. In other words, they're under a, a, a tombstone. And God means business. And he said, he's going to bring you through. He uh, that which he started in us, he's going to perform it until the day that Jesus comes and we go up in a rapture. Some of us may hob have to hobble in, no arms, but we'll get there if you belong to him. Now, if you don't belong to him and you're not having any chastisement, I'd check up. I'd find out whether I was really saved or not because the Word of God said in the book of Hebrews that He chastises every son whom He receiveth. The Word of God said He even scourges them. And I'll remind you that the word scourge in the Greek language means to literally beat the blood out of. So when we talk about scourging and we try to make it look like God doesn't really do much, when it says scourge, it means to take the blood out of you. Have you ever had that done as a child when your dad got a hold of you? My dad used to go out and get a handful of uh, peach tree switches and skin them things off. And I mean, man, he'd get around my legs and I'm not telling you no lie. I, I have actually had the blood coming out of my legs when daddy got done. You said, preacher, that's terrible. Well, I'm 80 years old and I'm still here and it did pretty good. They would lock him up now. 
But I'm going to tell you, and I'm honest today, that's what a whole lot of our young people need in the school today is somebody to get a hold of them with a good board or a good belt or a good handful of switches. Amen, preacher. Come on and get me. Bless God, I'll tell you one thing. When we stop the discipline, we see where we're at in America. All right, I'm going to close. Somebody said, Amen. The world began with the Lord and will end with Him. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in Revelation chapter 22, 21, it tells us that it will end with Him. Well, I had a lot more I could go cover, but I'm going to quit right there. Let's stand our feet with a head bowed. Brother Brandon, you come on and give an invitation.